Hey everyone, Keegan here, one of the curators of Aloud. This narration is of a blog post entitled, Is There a Tension Between Creativity and Accuracy? And it's written by a guy named Michael Nielsen. Michael is a former scientist and academic and co-authored the standard text on quantum computing. He's an extremely intelligent guy, and I hope you enjoy. Is There a Tension Between Creativity and Accuracy? By Michael Nielsen. Published in April 2017. On Twitter, I've been chatting with my friend Julia Galef about tensions between thinking creatively and thinking in a way that reduces error. Of course, all other things being equal, I'm in favor of reducing error in our thinking. However, all other things are not always equal. In particular, I believe there's a tension, too, between behaviors which maximize accuracy and which maximize creativity. A lot of important truths come from very irrational people. Julia has summarized some of her thinking in a blog post where she disagrees, writing, I totally agree that we need more experimentation with crazy ideas. I'm just skeptical that rationality is, on the margin, in tension with that goal. Before getting to Julia's arguments, I want to flesh out the idea of a tension between maximizing creativity and maximizing accuracy. Consider the following statement of Feynman's on the need to fool himself into believing that he had a creative edge in his work. He's talking about his early ideas on how to develop a theory of electrons and light, which became, after many years, quantum electrodynamics. The statement is a little jarring to modern sensibilities, but please look past that to the idea he's trying to convey. I told myself, of his competitors, they're on the wrong track. I've got the track. Now, in the end, I had to give up those ideas and go over to their ideas of retarded action and so on. My original idea of electrons not acting on themselves disappeared, but because I had been working so hard, I found something. So, as long as I can drive myself one way or the other, it's okay. Even if it's an illusion, it still makes me go. And this is the kind of thing that keeps me going through the depths. It's like the African savages who are going into battle. First, they have to gather around and beat drums and jump up and down to build up their energy to fight. I feel the same way, building up my energy by talking to myself and telling myself they are trying to do it this way. I'm going to do it that way. And then I get excited and I can go back to work again. Many of the most creative scientists I know are extremely determined people, willing to explore unusual positions for years. Sometimes those positions are well-grounded. And sometimes, even well after the fact, it's obvious they were fooling themselves, but somehow their early errors helped them find their way to the truth. They were to use the mathematician Goro Shimura's phrase, gifted with the special capability of making many mistakes, mostly in the right direction. An extreme example is the physicist Joseph Weber, who pioneered gravitational wave astronomy. The verdict of both his contemporaries and of history is that he was fooling himself. His systems simply didn't work the way he thought. On the other hand, even though he fooled himself for decades, the principals on the successful LIGO project have repeatedly acknowledged that his work was a major stimulus for them to work on finding gravitational waves. 
In retrospect, it's difficult to be anything other than glad that Weber clung so tenaciously to his erroneous beliefs. For me, what matters here is that A, much of Weber's work was based on an unreasonable belief, and B, on net, it helped speed up important discoveries. Weber demonstrates my point in an extreme form. He was outright wrong and remained so, and yet his erroneous example still served a useful purpose, helping inspire others to pursue ideas that eventually worked. In some sense, this is a collective rather than individual version of my point. More common is the case, like Feynman, of a person who may cling to mistaken beliefs for a long period, but ultimately uses that as a bridge to new discovery. Turning to Julia's post, she responds to my argument with, in general, I think overconfidence stifles experimentation, and argues that the great majority of people in society reject crazy ideas, say, seasteading, because they're overconfident in conventional wisdom. I agree that people often mistakenly reject unusual ideas because they're overconfident in the conventional wisdom. However, I don't think it's relevant to my argument. Being overconfident in beliefs that most people hold is not at all the same as being overconfident in beliefs that few people hold. You may wonder if the underlying cognitive mechanisms are the same and perhaps there's some kind of broad disposition to overconfidence. But if that was the case, then you'd expect that someone overconfident in their own unusual ideas would, in other areas, also be overconfident in the conventional wisdom. However, my anecdotal experience is that a colleague willing to pursue unusual ideas of their own is often particularly sympathetic to unusual ideas from other people in other areas. This suggests that being overconfident in your own crazy ideas isn't likely to stifle other experimentation. Julia also suggests several variants on the strategy of temporarily suspending your disbelief and throwing yourself headlong into something for a while, allowing your emotional state to be as if you were 100% confident. In a sense, Feynman and Weber were practicing an extreme version of this strategy. I don't know Weber's work well, but it's notable that in the details of Feynman's work, he was good at ferreting out error and not fooling himself. He wasn't always rigorous. Mathematicians have, for instance, spent decades trying to make the path integral rigorous, but there was usually a strong core argument. Indeed, Feynman delivered a very stimulating speech on the value of careful thought in scientific work. How can this careful approach to the details of argument be reconciled with his remarks about the need to fool yourself in creative work? I never met Feynman and can't say how he reconciled the two points of view, but my own approach in creative work, and I believe many others also take this approach, is to carve out a sort of creative cocoon around nascent ideas. Consider Apple designer Johnny Ives' remarks at a memorial after Steve Jobs' death. Steve used to say to me, and he used to say this a lot, Hey Johnny, here's a dopey idea. And sometimes they were really dopey. Sometimes they were truly dreadful. But sometimes they took the air from the room and they left us both completely silent.
bold, crazy, magnificent ideas, or quiet, simple ones, which in their subtlety, their detail, they were utterly profound. And just as Steve loved ideas and loved making stuff, he treated the process of creativity with a rare and a wonderful reverence. You see, I think he, better than anyone, understood that while ideas ultimately can be so powerful, they begin as fragile, barely formed thoughts, so easily missed, so easily compromised, so easily just squished. To be creative, you need to recognize those barely formed thoughts, thoughts which are usually wrong and poorly formed in many ways, but which have some kernel of originality and importance and truth. And if they seem important enough to be worth pursuing, you construct a creative cocoon around them, a set of stories you tell yourself to protect the idea, not just from others, but from your own self-doubts. The purpose of those stories isn't to be an airtight defense. It's to give you the confidence to nurture the idea, possibly for years, to find out if there's something really there. And so, even someone who has extremely high standards for the final details of their work may have an important component to their thinking which relies on rather woolly arguments. And they may well need to cling to that cocoon. Perhaps other approaches are possible, but my own experience is that this is often the case. Hope you enjoyed this narration. As always, if there's a genre of content or a specific piece of writing you'd like to receive in a future issue, just shoot us an email. Look forward to seeing you again soon.